0: Hear this word from 2 Samuel chapter 6. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and and all his men went to Baalah in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord God Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with their might, with all their might, before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, tambourines, rattles, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of this irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the Ark of God. Then David was angry because of the Lord's wrath and broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, "How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me?" He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-edom the Gittite for 3 months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. God always blesses reading God's holy word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for your word this morning, your ever faithful presence. We love you. We give you glory today. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your love. Pull us in. Draw us in, Lord, as only you can. I pray now these words of mine may not be my words, but they may be your words, That the words of my mouth, and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pure and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Will I love driving through the northwest in the summertime, anytime, but especially the summer, you see the majesty and the beauty of the land. What a place we live in. One of my favorite places is that Skagit Valley. When you drive out, you head up to Chuckanut Chuckanut Drive there, and you get off of five and then veer into that beautiful farmland. I love how that just opens out drive up there for retreats and family time. It's one of our favorite places up Larrabee State Park and up to uh, Bellingham. We have family up there. Well, if you've driven up there <clears throat> lately, maybe you've noticed there is a new addition to the route alongside the road. And it is a big old tsunami hazard zone sign. And this thing is huge. It's brand new. You've seen these smaller ones that are that are they're blue and white. This one I think is a I think it's a darker blue and orange, I'm not sure. And it's like three or four times as big. You know how these tsunami hazard zone signs work? There's a big old wave and a little old person running for their lives. <laughs> it's, like, it's like welcome to Skagit Valley and this beautiful place. The ocean is glorious. For we should never forget its power. You know, all human, all human and earthly analogies fail at some point to capture the godness of God. But still, while all analogies fall short, they can be helpful. And you could do worse than the analogy of the ocean with God. Sometimes an analogy has a necessary role in shaking our minds into an awareness of just who we are dealing with in our living, mighty, and untamable, all-powerful, maybe, a little, maybe even a little bit scary, God. And I'm grateful for that tsunami hazard zone signs, that those signs, that one and every one of them, because they remind us that while we live in an incredibly beautiful place which we want to enjoy every minute God gives us here every square foot, square mile of it the beauty, including that that beautiful water we ought not forget what we're dealing with and what can happen same goes with God David finds out In this story, that our God who is ultimately our ultimate lover, for sure, but also he's no lapdog. And I love a good lapdog. We have two dogs, but God is not that. God will cuddle with you to a degree. He will. He's loving. He's gracious. He will hold you, but he will also stand strong. And maybe even be a bit scary. David learns this here. <clears throat> David's a king. He's just been anointed. Finally. After years and years on the run. And he, can, he shifts into this, into this new moment. By announcing. It's time to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. The ark. You may recall from Exodus Chapter 25 is a wooden chest overlaid inside and out with gold. It housed the tablets of the covenant law. It was the only furniture in the most holy place of the tabernacle, which was the mobile temple, the mobile church during, when, during the time when Israel was fleeing Egypt. It was their mobile church. The ark symbolized Part of the footstool of the Lord's throne. Scholar B.C. Birch points out bringing back the Ark serves as a public ritual to inaugurate Jerusalem, not only as royal capital, but also as the religious center of Israel's life. Totally makes sense, totally appropriate to bring the Ark home. So, this Ark relocation operation gets underway. But if you read carefully, and you know the story, you know right away something's a bit off. Because when David's men start bringing the ark on the eight-mile journey to Jerusalem, they do so in a way contrary to the explicit instructions of Moses. Moses' instructions were that the Kohathites, the, uh, uh, the, the tribe of Levi, Back in Exodus, they were to carry the ark on their shoulders using poles. That was a more personal, more reverent way to transport the ark. Instead, David's men decide on some what they think is an upgrade. They use a cart pulled by oxen. This is what the Philistines did when they st- stole the ark in, uh, earlier in 1 Samuel. And God slammed them for it. The Philistines got rid of it, said so we don't want it. Well, now that it's back in Israel, David and his crew try the same thing. But they weren't supposed to do it this way, according to the book of Numbers, chapter 7-9, where Moses, again, explicitly instructed the Kohathites, part of the Levi, tribe of Levi, they're supposed to carry the tabernacle furniture on their shoulders using poles and such because these pieces were most holy and worthy of special care, as scholars tell us. Instead, the Israelites took take the cue from the surrounding culture, the Philistines, and try to do it their way. As Eugene Peterson writes, a well-designed ox cart, which is what israelites tried to use instead of the shoulder poles a well-designed ox cart is undeniably more efficient for moving the ark than the plodding levites would have been carrying it by hand but it's also impersonal the replacement this is this is the replacement of consecrated persons by an efficient machine. The impersonal crowding out the personal. They did it their way. And perhaps this is the first sign that something is going wrong here. Then suddenly it goes from bad to worse. One minute, David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, chimbrels, cymbals and then bam the oxen pulling the cart stumble and Uzzah one imagines almost reflexively reaches out to take hold of the ark and then zap we're told the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act Therefore, God struck him down. If, if that doesn't sit well with you, perhaps it shouldn't. It's meant to shock. How else would God get our attention, really, in this sort of literature that we're reading? His word, right? We've got all these warriors and warlordish types doing their thing throughout our story battles and swords and geopolitical intrigue and all that, but don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by all these kings and armies and geopolitical figures. Only God is God. And God is not furniture to be handled as we decide it. As Eugene Peterson summarizes it, Uzzah, is the patron saint of those who uncritically embrace technology without regard to the nature of God. Uzza is the patron saint of those who uncritically embrace technology without regard to the nature of God. What happens to Uzza is a lesson to not ever forget what we're dealing with. The Skagit Valley, that ocean, that sea is so beautiful, so gorgeous. You could take a nap. Just looking at it, it's so restful the soul, but don't ever forget what it's capable of. I'm hopeful that we'll see Uzzah in heaven. He made a mistake, but there's no reason to believe that his mistake isn't covered by the blood of Jesus, who, as John the Baptist tells us, takes away the sins of the world. John 1.29. And that includes Uzzah's sin, right? But back to the story. King David is angry. And then he's scared. Our text tells us, David was afraid of the Lord of that day. Well, no kidding, right? How can the ark ever come to me, he says in verse 9. He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. Well, yeah, go figure, duh, right? Who can blame him? Dr. Peterson writes that there's an awesome unmanageability to this artifact of God's awesome power. There's an awesome unmanageability to this artifact of God's awesome power, and so there should be. This is where we're reminded to be very careful about the language we use in church leadership. You ever hear the phrase, running of the church? like the Israelites saying, we're going to run the ark. I'm going to just run the ark up to Jerusalem. Well, we don't run the church any more than than David could run the ark. We don't manage the Holy Spirit. (laughs) We're overseers. We're stewards. But running, and even the language of management, suggests something ultimately under our control. Ministry is not something we control or run or impose on people. We're not managers who run this. You and I can never run the Holy Spirit. Try to manage the Holy Spirit and see what happens. For sure, we have a role. We're not passive. The Levites weren't passive. They were told how to move the ark, they had a role, but in a reverent way, not in an efficient way, not an efficient way, a reverent way. Not a way they could control or manage toward their desired outcome. They would have preferred it faster. How about a little help from some oxen? How about a cart? No. As Uzzah and David found out, no one was going to run this ark operation. The church itself doesn't run the arcing power of the Holy Spirit, we respond to the arcing power of the Holy Spirit. We revere the Holy Spirit. We read the signs of what the Holy Spirit is doing. We constantly realign ourselves to that. We raise up the name of the triune God. Yeah, we have a role, right? It's not a free for all. We don't, we don't ever, ever run God. That's what Uzzah tried to do. Tried to run the ark transfer operation to make it more efficient. That's what he and his crew tried to do. How about an upgrade here, God? How about how about something more efficient than these poles? When we try to run the Holy Spirit into efficiency or whatever, we'll be at risk for trying to control it, trying to be too efficient, and we may get zapped in whatever way. David was served by being reminded of this. Think about it. David is the man right now. He goes and gets the ark. Maybe it would be a bit tempting for David to see the ark as ratifying his purposes as king. This is a trap a lot of spiritual leaders get into. You hear this time and time again, particularly of evangelical leaders who get into a particular vision and they wind up using the church to ratify their vision. They wind up using the symbols of the office, even the Bible itself, to impose their vision on people maybe David might have been a little bit tempted to see the ark as serving his purposes to solidify his power and his vision for his kingship. Could the whole Uzzah episode be a rebuke to that? Whatever David's precise intent, we're never told that he's he's being prideful. We're never told that. But what happens to Uzzah is a shattering reminder. The God of Israel is no mere symbol to ratify a king. You cannot manage him. You cannot manage God. Uncontainable, unmanageable, and unpredictable. Again, there's form, there's shape. We listen to God, we look for him to work. We align ourselves with what God's doing any given moment. It's not a free-for-all. We have the word of God, just like the Levites had the word of how to transport the ark. So it's not anything goes and anything anyone wants to do any time. There is shape to this, to how the God who is unmanageable has shown us how he works, for sure. But we are always and forever submitted to that, to the one who shapes us. That's what Uzzah and David and his crew lost here. They lost track of that. Maybe David needed to hear this. And hear it he does, (laughs) because David was unwilling to take the ark at that moment. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. Can you imagine this in modern terms? A van rolls up to someone's house. Hey, Obed, I got something for you. (laughs) David and his crew Then back away, they drop the ark off, they back away from the house, and they speed off with gravel spewing behind the van, right? Put this scary ark thing of the unmanageable God in their rear view for for a bit. We don't know for sure, uh, but it's possible that maybe no Israelite would take it after what happened to Uzzah. And then Obed-Edom does. Now, his name sounds like an outsider. Some commentators get this. Some commentators even say he's a Philistine. Others say he's a Levite, part of the group responsible for the ark, which is why they they stuck it with him. (laughs) I like that there's some debate and mystery about just who Obed-Edom was here. The guy could be the ultimate obnoxious outsider, the Philistine, the last person you'd think God would allow to oversee his ark, or the guy could be a Levite, kind of the ultimate insider, who was part of the original group tasked and specifically instructed for how to handle this role. Maybe God chose the ultimate outsider to oversee the ark before it was settled in Jerusalem. Maybe God chose the ultimate insider to do it. Either way, we get verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. What a contrast. The ark freaks out the king, but blesses the guy, who may be a foreigner or may be a priest. The ark trips out the king, but blesses the guy who may be the ultimate outsider or the ultimate insider. Specifically, in 1 Chronicles 26, we're told that God blessed Obed-Edom with eight sons. It's a big deal in the Old Testament. In that, and perhaps in other ways, the Lord blessed him and his entire household, verse 11. What a way for God to transition the center of political and spiritual life in early Israel. His timing, his way through the mysterious character of Obed-Edom, who he blesses after the tragic example of Uzzah. And now we find ourselves at the ocean again with its tide, the tide that is relentless. We were up at, up at um, uh, over at Woodby Island the other day at the beach and uh, the Double Bluff. And that tide just keeps coming in. You know, you have to move your... Your stuff to keep it from getting wet, right? It's unstoppable. Well, once again, all analogies fail, but God is unstoppable. You can't manage the tide. you can just get in in it or get out of its way. Or both, sometimes. let it do its work and then get what you need from it. This is our God, right? Obed Edom, touched by the tide. Either the ultimate insider or ultimate outsider. this is our God. The tide rolls on the beach, the tide, relentless, powerful, unstoppable, a little scary sometimes, more than we can handle, but non discriminating. This God we serve is no lapdog, he is a lion who ultimately brings glad tidings to all people as he rolls in unstoppably. There's a word of freedom. In acknowledging that this isn't something we can control, we participate in it. We fasten our seatbelts. We follow the way He shapes us. We respond to it, and then we go, "Wow, what is He going to do? I wonder what this God. Oh, I see what He's. Oh, I see that. Oh, I see. Wow, I didn't expect that. This is the God whom we serve. This is the God who zapped Uzzah and who blessed Obed Edom, and who loves the world." And he was untamable and unstoppable. May it be so for you and for me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.